All right, Roy, where are you at, man? Come on up. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about the next purpose in line in our Purpose Driven Life series that we're doing. We're going to be talking about discipleship, but I got this, this thought in my mind when, uh, when I was thinking about Roy and thinking about what it is that Roy does for a living. We're going to have Roy use this microphone right here. And so I thought this would be an interesting uh, thing for us to do, just a little Q&A, a little kind of an interview, and help you to get to know Roy just a little bit more. We are, before we get started, we are actually, yes, oh, we have the kids, I always forget those, uh, say first through fifth grade, first through fifth grade, you can go on out to your time right now, you've got your own special time of teaching, and then sixth grade through twelfth grade, Jacob, who was just up here doing an announcement, he will be leading that group as well. So if you're in middle school, high school, go ahead and stand up, go on out, and you'll have your own time together this morning. So please take advantage of that. Glad Jacob was in the back waving. He said, Brady, you forgot. We're trying something new today. We're, we are actually recording the service uh, via video through an app called Periscope. And so we're going to see how that works. We're going to get it we're going to record it today, see if we can get some good quality, and we'll be able to send it out to people to be able to watch the service for those who are not able to be with us live. So hopefully we'll get a chance to, to see if that works. Try that out here. All right, so everyone, this is my friend Roy True. Roy, uh, what is it that you do for a living? I'm a police officer. He's a police officer. All right, so that's an interesting career choice. When did you decide to become a police officer, and, and why? Why did you decide to become a police officer? Well, actually, 33 years ago, I started my career in law enforcement at the age of 12, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, I, I thought it would be a good way to help people. And, uh, you know, I, I watched a lot of movies back in the 70s. Uh, the, there was a lot of cop movies and cop TV shows. And I thought it would be fun. And so I thought it would be a fun job and a way to help people. Okay, that's, that's fair enough. And so... To get a job as a police officer, I'm just thinking, I mean, I, I got a job at the airport. And I just walked up and got an application. Do you just walk into a police station and say, hey, I'm here today. I want to be a police officer. Well, yeah, you can do that um, because they're taking applications all the time. But I actually, uh, my sister and her husband lived in Fort Scott, Kansas, and they went to church with the police chief. And um, I was just talking to my brother-in-law, telling him I, I thought I might apply to be a police officer. And he said, well, I, hey, they're getting ready to hire one in, in the roaring metropolis of Fort Scott, Kansas here. <laughs> so uh, I went down there and applied. Okay. So you went and applied. I mean, did they just hand you a gun that day and say, all right, you're hired. You're, here's your car. You're on. No, I, I had to take a written test, and then I had an interview with the chief. It, it was a, not really a grueling process. But, <laughs> uh, and then I got hired, and uh, I actually had to buy my own gun. They provided the uniform for me, but yeah, I had to go buy a gun, and, uh, and I started off there uh, with some on-the-job training. So did you buy, like, the biggest gun you could find, like the biggest? Um, no, <laughs> no, I didn't. It's like when you bring in a big Bible as a pastor, so I don't know. Like Dirty Harry. No, <laughs> yeah, no exactly. I didn't. 44. I just bought a 38 revolver. Okay. So during, um, during that, how was the training how was the training? Was there a training process that you had to go through at that particular time? Actually, uh, I started off there with on-the-job training. Um, I did about two months with a training officer. And then after about six months there, um, since it's a small department with a tight budget, 
uh, they wanted to see what I was going to be like before they spent the money to send me to the academy. So uh, after about six months, they sent me to the academy, which was in uh, just outside of Hutchison, Kansas, in the town of Yoder. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> ever been to Yoder, Kansas before? It's, uh, we do have a few people. All right, there we go. And we, we, refer, we lovingly refer to the academy as Yoder U. <laughs> And uh, it was an eight-week academy. I lived there in a, in a barracks with some other, all, all the other people in my academy class. And uh, it was eight weeks long. Okay. Um, so you were talking to me about uh, the particular individual named Ed. Who was who, Ed? Ed was a guy who worked on the Fort Scott Police Department. And uh, after I started there, he was not my training officer. But when I got done with my two weeks with my training officer, I was on the same shift with Ed. And he kind of took me under his wings and uh, showed me how to do stuff. So if I'd go on a call and I wasn't really sure what to do, Ed would help me. And I, I would watch him and kind of imitate what he did. And um, that was Ed. He kind of took me under his wing and I followed him. Okay, so uh, Mike, I'm just curious, why did Ed pick you? Like what? what? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we worked together. I don't know if he felt sorry for me or what, but he just kind of... Uh, somehow wanted to help me and and uh would you know show me how to do things show you how to do things all right so how long were you at the uh at fort scott i was in fort scott for three years and then uh then i got hired by the kansas city missouri police department and i started there in uh, january of 1986 actually three years to the day after i started in fort scott so i I've been in on the Kansas City Police Department since uh, 1986. 1986. Was the hiring process a little bit different the hiring, for the KCPD as opposed to Fort Scott? Yeah, it was a lot more involved. I, I had to take a written test and then a physical ability test and then a polygraph test and an interview. And then they did a big background investigation where they went and talked to all my neighbors for every place I had lived for the last 10 years. All right. So good. A lot more involved. So, so then after that, you had to go to their academy. Then I went to the Kansas City's academy, which was about six months long. Okay. So you get done with the academy, you come back. So then they just hand you your gun, hand you your car, or was there was there a whole other training process that went along with that? Then I had to go through another process after I graduated from the academy with a field training officer for another eight weeks, and um, that after that process, then I was on my own. Then you're on your own. Did eventually you become um, equipped enough to where you're able to train others? Yeah, after I'd been on the Kansas City Police Department for a couple of years, I became a field training officer. And so when other people would come out of the academy, I trained them, and I trained about uh, 10 officers. 10 officers. Um, were, were all these guys that you trained, were they all the same? Was your training unique, or your style or your process, was it all, always the same, or was it kind of different? No, they were all different. Um, the, actually, the first recruit I had was a really fast learner, and he picked up everything really quick. And um, he, was, he was probably the easiest recruit I ever had. But then I had some others who um, struggled with, like, report writing. So you had to give them extra attention on how to write reports and extra training. So they're all different, and you kind of have to adapt your style. My basic style was the same. Uh, I would just try to show them. If we got a whatever kind of call, I would do it and show them how to do it. Then the next time I would expect them to do it, I'd kind of help them walk them through it. But eventually, they had to learn how to do it on their own. But you had to kind of adapt that for each different person. Okay. 
Yeah, that's good. So as we think about biblical discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus and be a disciple, uh, how, what, what are some similarities when it comes to the job that you do and then when it comes to training and raising other people spiritually? I think uh, spiritually we, need, we all need somebody like Ed, the, like Ed was to me on the job, kind of took me under his wing. Not, he was not assigned to train me, he wasn't a formal trainer, but I just kind of followed him and imitated him. So, um, and that kind of goes both ways. As Christians, uh, we need to look for people who are younger in the faith than us and not necessarily have a, a formal relationship with them, but just kind of an informal uh, live life with them and let them see how we live. And as, as Christians, we need to look for someone more mature than us and kind of see what they do and follow their example and imitate them. That's what Paul told us. Uh, Paul said to be an imitator of him as he was an imitator of Christ. Right, right. Absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted uh, Roy to come up here and share because I thought it was so fascinating how... Um, like when you go through this process, they assign you to someone. And then as you grow and you become proficient at what it is you do, then you have the opportunity to turn around and give it away to other people. And I want you, I want you to just to get that in your mind because that makes sense when it comes to our relationship with Christ. And I, one of the things that he talked about is that you have, to be, um, you have to be intentional about looking for that person to train you. And then Ed, I loved how Ed was intentional with you like there was just something about you that he said, I want to pour in to this guy. I want to train him so that he can then be a trainer of others. So, all right, let's give it up for Roy. Thank you. So I just thought it would be good to have, here's a practical life lesson, application of biblical dis discipleship. Obviously, um, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit deeper than that when it comes to a uh, relationship with Christ to becoming more like Christ and so we want to just really dig into that today and I want you to do me a favor real quick I want you to just bow your heads and I just want you to pray with me as we get started uh, for one last week when we when we broke out and we prayed and we had a group praying for Landon this uh, for those of you that are guests we have a precious little boy na named Landon he's four years old he is diagnosed with leukemia and he, there's, they've just been battling the, the cycle of he's feeling good and then he has back, back in the hospital and all the stuff that goes along with that. Well, last week we prayed. We had a group of people come together and pray. And that day that we prayed was the first day that Landon didn't have a fever. And then two days later, Landon got to come home. And so I just want to encourage you and help you just remind you that there's power in prayer. There's power when we pray together, when we agree together in prayer and so so let's pray together as we continue our time this morning so Lord I praise you and I thank you for everyone that has walked into the door today they were intentional about coming here and I pray father that when they walk out of this door they in, at least in some measure will be more like your son Jesus Lord, would you train us today? Would you challenge us today? Would you encourage us today? Would you cheer us on when we, when we do well? Would you come alongside when we feel like we've failed? 
God, we thank you for people that, have, that we can look at in our own individual lives that have been ed to us, that have been someone that has encouraged us, who have picked us out to, to walk alongside us. God, would we also see the responsibility that we have to look back and to see those that are coming up from behind so that we can help them as we've been helped ourselves. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today. Would you encourage us through your word? Would we, would we just know that you have a, a purpose and a plan for our life? And it's not to be just better people, but it's, just, it's to be more like the son whom you love and the one that you sent to love us so well. We thank you for the example Jesus set for us. Help us to be an example to others. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, in your, in your Bible, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is where Jesus calls his first, his first disciples, his first followers. How many of you are familiar with, I think it's Ray, is it Vanderlaan? Have you heard of Ray? Ray does this, um, this teaching from like the Holy Land. And he uses like, just he's standing like in the rubble of a village where Jesus taught. And he shares scripture and it just makes it come alive. It's beautiful. So I watched a little bit of that uh, yesterday. And he was talking about the, you know, how he, how Jesus sought out and called the first disciples. How he went to this, this, this village, this place where, where um, they lived together and they did life together and they fished and they worked together and Jesus goes and he chooses people to, to follow after him. And when Jesus calls someone to follow him, basically what he's saying is, is I want you to come and I want you to, to be like me. Not be me. You're not going to be Jesus. You're not going to be God. There's only one. We're not going to be him, but he wants us to be like him. And so Jesus calls his first disciples in Matthew chapter 4. Let's start at verse 18. And it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for the obvious, they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. So in this, this culture, the reason why these guys were probably back to fishing is because their, their educational period was over. They grew up um, learning the, the Torah, they, learning the laws, and learning to how to be a good Jewish young man. And they got to a point where they, their education couldn't go any further because, either, for one, they either didn't want it to go any further or they just weren't, they just didn't have it together. They weren't good enough. 
And so they went back to their family's business. Not everyone was called to be a rabbi, to be a leader, to be a teacher. But everyone was trained when they were younger in the ways of the Lord. So these guys were well trained, but they weren't called to then go on. And so they went back to work, back to to doing whatever it is the family business was. But if you did have what it takes, and you did want to become greater, and you wanted to be a teacher, you would then actually go and apply. You would go to a rabbi, and you would say to him, I want to be like you. May I follow you? And then, like the interviewing process, like Roy was talking about, then they would kind of, he'd do He'd go back over. He'd maybe go speak to the instructors in the synagogue. Say, hey, what kind of student is this? Does he have what it takes? Can he be me? And then if the, and if the answer is yes, then they would say, now I want you to come follow me and spend time with me. And this would be a commitment. Might even be a lifelong commitment. And it wouldn't just be like, well, I'll just show up once a week. You know, Roy, you didn't just go to training once a week, right, whenever you felt like it. I mean, it was a requirement. Like, you had to go. You had to be committed in order to finish. And so in that culture, the rabbi would choose then, after the person had already applied to them, and they would say, I think you have what it takes. Come with me. But I love how Jesus turns this whole process around when he walks by the seashore and he picks out these young men and he says I choose you I believe in you I believe you have what it takes to be like me and I want you to come follow me and so when that happened he invited them into a three-year journey that would not only change their life but it would change the entire world Ladies and gentlemen, we sit here, I stand here today because these young men left what they were doing and committed to something greater than just fishing. And because of that, this message of the good news of Jesus Christ spread throughout the world and came to your ears at some point and has brought you here today. I mean, Pokemon Go is exciting. Don't get me wrong. But this gospel, this good news, blows it out of the water. Blows it out of the water. So Jesus invites them to come, and he he invites them to watch him. Can you imagine these guys just watching Jesus? Like, like we've never seen anything like this before. Like, we've seen some rabbis. We've been under some teaching, but we have never heard this kind of teaching with this kind of authority we've never seen people be healed like this like there's something different about this guy right after they followed him it says and Jesus went throughout all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom healing every disease and every affliction among the people so his fame spread throughout all of Syria and they then brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains those oppressed by demons epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus has come and watched me. 
Watch what I do. And then, when you're ready, I'm going to invite you to do it with me. And he does. He invites them to do it with them. And then, he eventually, as you go through the book of Matthew, uh, I believe it's around chapter 10, it says that he, uh, he sends them out. He tells them that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and he prepares them, and he gets them ready, and then he sends them out, basically with this idea of saying, you go, and I'll watch you. Like, I've equipped you. Like, now you're ready, Roy. You're ready for your own car and your own gun and your own responsibility to go out and do it. We have trained you, and now it's time for you to go and do it on your own. And they went out, and they did ministry. They healed they preached the truth. They preached about the gospel, the, ki the kingdom that was at hand. And then they came back and then they talked it over with Jesus. It's a great picture to me of biblical discipleship. The sense of watch me, do it with me, I'll watch you do it. And then eventually Jesus said, I'm going to empower you to do it on your own because <laughs> I'm going to be, because I'm going I'm going to go to a, to a place to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and get you. But until then, I'm going to leave you with this responsibility to take what you've learned and to give it away to other people. And Timothy, it's, Paul tells Timothy, take what you've been given and then give it away to men you can trust. Give it away to other people so that they can then in turn give it away to others. It's a great process. So let's talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus or what a disciple looks like. Because Paul, Paul tells them in Romans chapter 8 that there's a, a predestined design for you and that is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I like this thought. You were created in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God says, I created, created a man and woman in our image, created them in our image. Like you were created in the image of God. That's your destiny. That's what he wants for you. But then... Sin distorted that image. Sin distorted the image, and Jesus came to restore it. And by us putting our hope and trust in Jesus, that image can then be restored. And his desire for us is to look more and more like Christ every day. Okay? And we've talked about this before, and some of you that are just new, uh, you weren't here when we talked about it, but we were talking about how we're all at different places when it comes to our discipleship, when it comes to our being more like Christ, there are times when we f I feel super close and super connected, and then there, there are times where I feel distant for whatever reason. But Paul says our desired destination is to be conformed to his image, to be, to be like him. That's his desire for us. And so how does that, how's that going to happen? How are we going to grow into that because that's what it is it's a growth it's a process it's a it's a continual daily thing it's about growing into spiritual maturity so I was thinking about this earlier this week this process is there's a fancy word for it that we would use and if you're familiar with this phrase sanctification being sanctified like set apart to be like Jesus well, this, this fancy word sanctification is 
is a process. And it's not just about behavioral modification. Listen, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I just confess, I spent most of my time trying to modify behavior in ornery teenagers. Some of you were those ornery teenagers. And I've just discovered over time that 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 doesn't work because you can get them to modify their behavior for a moment. While you're at youth camp, they're on their, well, most of the time they're on their best behavior, you know. While they're at church, while they're at youth group, their behavior is modified. They even might make a commitment that day to say, I will never do that again. And God, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you for the rest of my life. I'll never go back. And then that changes over time. (laughs) So it's more than just about behavioral modification, just to get you to act differently. It's more about character transformation. Like he is changing us, not from our outside actions in, he's changing us from the inside out. And he's using a variety of tools to make that happen. A variety of tools to make that happen. And one of those tools, obviously, is the Word of God. It's his, it's his, it's his training manual, <laughs> I asked Roy when we were together, I said, Roy, did you get like a manual? It's like, yeah, it's like this thick. You know, they drop it down in front of you. All right, all the rule, all the laws, all the things that you need to know, learn this. And so we have a training manual. It's called the Bible. It, maybe you've heard uh, this funny little acronym, Basic Instruction Before Leaving Earth, B-I-B-L-E. All right, so it's our basic instruction before we leave this place. Uh, 2 Timothy, if you, have your, if you have your own Bible, go to there. 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to his disciple, to his young Timothy. To this, this, Paul was like Ed to Timothy. He was, sought him out and trained him up and trusted him with the work to give it away. And Paul is speaking to him in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you, if you started from the beginning of chapter 3, you would see what we're starting to see all over the news, all the godlessness in these days that we live in. But uh, we have, there's so much of that. Well, let's just go down to verse number 10. Paul is telling Timothy, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. Timothy, you've you've witnessed these things. You've seen these things. You've actually lived these things out. He says, the persecutions that happened and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, with persecutions I endured, yet from then all of those things the Lord rescued me. Indeed, this, listen, this is a verse that doesn't get preached on very often. Pastors probably like to skim right past this one really quick here. Uh, This is not something that uh, you put on a bumper sticker and you wear it around on a t-shirt. Yeah, listen to what it says here. You know, it's like... 
it says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Thank you for coming. Have a great week. <laughs> wow, that was encouraging. So excited I showed up to church today. <laughs> he just told me, it's going to be hard. I mean, if you follow Jesus' story with the disciples, many people, even said in Matthew, where I was reading, it says many people followed him. But yet they followed him, and when they got close enough and they realized that this is not going to be the easiest life. Jesus says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. You want, you want in on that? Let's go. Follow me. You want to you be like me? Okay, that's, that's good. I, I eventually will be hung on a tree, <laughs> on some wood, and uh, be humiliated in front of all people, and I will die. Yeah, that's, that's what you're signing up for. I think about police officers and, you know, I'm sure they're told this is a dangerous job. It could involve you having to give your life or risk your life for the benefit of others, other people. And he says, all who want or desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, and this is a sense of all who desire to be like Christ will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But then Paul says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus, for, through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for, repute, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is our training manual. This is what he is calling us to. As a disciple, we must become intimately acquainted with the Bible. Now, As a confession, as a confession, first of all, I love the Word of God. I really do. I love the Bible. But I hate how much time I waste doing other things and not spending time in it. And I get tempted and tried by that every day and every week. But I have never, listen, I have never regretted stopping what I'm doing and spending time in God's Word. I have never, ever spent time reading the Bible, even if I didn't fully understand what I was reading and, and I didn't have like a you know, holy angelic moment and lights came on and angels came down and we sang. No, I have never regretted reading the Bible. Never. Just think, think about that. Think about that phrase. I've never regretted reading the Bible. I've been challenged by it. I've been encouraged and I've been corrected. But I've never regretted. Remember last week, if you were here, I talked about how um, that we are to let the word of God or the, 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 um, 
the word of Christ dwell within us. In Colossians chapter 3, it talks about letting it dwell. It's talking about marinating and how I had these roasts at home marinating in the crock pot, you know. And we went home and they were good. It smelled good. Well, that marination is from the outside in. When you expose yourself to God's word, it's like marinating you from the inside out. It begins to soften you and encourage you and, and it causes you to love differently. It causes you to see life from a different lens. It gives you a different world view. And there was a great preacher named Charles Haddon Spurgeon and he wrote many, many different sermons. And you know that every sermon that he ever spoke, he had people sit at his feet and write down everything that he said. And that's how he had record of all of these messages. Is these scribes would sit. And then they would get together and they would compare notes and and then they would form it into a text and he would keep it for, for us to review later. So here's what he says about the Bible. In regards to the Bible and it dwelling within you, there is no book that has so much power over us if we will but give ourselves up to it. Yet often we only look in at our window or knock at our door or we only let it look in at our window or knock at our door, instead of inviting it in to enter in our very heart and our soul. Like, we only just let it take a glance in or knock at the door, instead of letting it have full access into our life. It says, and therefore, because we don't do that, we miss out on His power. We might spend a lot of time uh, with other writings and other things and gaining knowledge and, and those things aren't in, in themselves bad but if that takes precedent over what God is trying to say to us through his word it says if and Paul or Spurgeon goes on to say if other forms of knowledge are useful they would be like the planets but the knowledge of God as revealed through his word in Christ Jesus is like the sun at the center of the universe the center of our solar system, everything else rotating around. It's like a mobile in a baby's bed. And everything else rotates around it. And, that, and Christ is at the center. Let this always be the center of your system of knowledge and let all the rest that, that you know move in subordination and subjection to that first and best form of knowledge. And that is God's word. That's something a disciple should be committed to and and I want to and I want to tell you don't feel bad if you're if you struggle with that if you're not good at that but be intentional about it find somebody else to help you walk through it when you say like, I don't understand what is this trying to say get with some other people find an ed or if you feel like you have a pretty decent grasp look back and find someone find a Roy <laughs> and bring them along with you Another tool, as we finish up our time together, is, is, is us. It's the church. It's just people. We are his body. And we need one another when it comes to becoming more like Christ. We need to encourage one another, challenge one another, love one another. When we find truth, then we need to invite others to join us in that truth. On Wednesday night in our small group, a lady invited a friend to come. 
she had attended church last week and then she came to small group and at the end when we were going around and we were talking about things that we need prayer concerns or whatever this woman said I just need peace and I said you know Jesus is the prince of peace I said do you have Jesus she says no I don't I said do you want him she said yes I do and she gave her life to Christ right there and listen, I wish that happened every day of my life. Part of the reason why it doesn't, because I'm not intentional enough to make sure that it does, or at least present the opportunity for it to happen. But that moment was a joyous moment in our home. This woman became a follower of Jesus. Now, does she have it all figured out? Absolutely not. She's a new trainee. <laughs> and so immediately the next day, the lady that invited her to church said, Let's get together and let's open the Bible together. Let's walk down this road together. That's a beautiful picture of discipleship. Spurgeon says that we are to know the truth of God so as to be able to teach and then admonish one another. First, we are to seek the profit of our fellows by teaching one another. He said no one man can ever touch or even teach a vast congregation. Like, I cannot disciple all of you. I mean, I'll do my part right now as I teach you. But in order to really fully grow and to grab a hold of the knowledge that is revealed in God's Word, you need some other people to come, around, come alongside you to help you. And that's, as a congregation, that's your responsibility. That's our responsibility. He said, the work must be done by the members of the church themselves. The word of Christ must dwell in you, and then you must become a mutual instruction society. I love that thought. Like, I am then going to turn around and just give it away to someone else. Every Christian should exercise the office, the office of the pastorate according to his ability and his opportunity. In such a church as this, every one of the members must look well not only to his own spiritual affairs, but also to the well-being of others. I love that thought. I love that picture. What sweet and gracious instructions the older ones among you can give to others and tell of their experience. It's very interesting to any of us to hear their stories and how helpful it is to beginners in this divine life. And if, in addition to relating to your experience, you talk of the scriptures that have been opened up to you, the promises that have been fulfilled to you, the passages in the Bible have been applied to your heart by the Holy Spirit and, and, and you, you've been inspired by them, you will greatly then instruct other fellow Christians. You who are deeply taught in scriptures should try to teach others for their profit. Do you have those pictures? I'm going to show you I'm going to show you a few pictures of discipleship as we get done to finish our time here. This is my daughter, Emma, and these three precious little girls are the daughters of my cousin. And these little girls love Emma. And they, I promise you, watch and listen to Emma. And so Emma's character her modeling for them makes a difference in their life. How she lives makes a difference. And they will see it. Will it change them immediately? Maybe. <laughs> but over time, as they watch, as Emma watches them grow and they watch her, 
That's discipleship. This man was in a cave in the Dominican Republic fasting and praying and our youngest daughter Eliza's school went there and you heard, maybe we talked about this before, maybe you heard the story, but this man started to pray and to preach the word of God over these students and he dramatically impacted their life. He gave away what he had been given to these students to come back to America and change their world. That's the encouragement he gave them. Sit back and watch it happen. Powerful. Next picture. These are Pokemon Go disciples. I was at the plaza last night, and there are people everywhere like zombies with their face down being discipled. This is a different kind of discipleship. Everyone's being discipled by something or someone. (laughs) Next picture. This happened in front of me at Starbucks about a week ago. This young lady on the right was a young life uh, leader. She had gone to camp with this teenage girl on the left. The girl that went to camp gave her life to Jesus at Young Life Camp. And this woman is taking her through Scripture, discipling her right there in a public place. Now, I asked them, I said, I know this is going to be creepy, but can I take your picture? <laughs> and then I found out I know her, I know her mutual friends from Young Life, and her name is uh, Sarah. Sarah, so I can't remember for sure. But anyway, cool picture of discipleship. What is this little boy doing? He's watching his dad. This little boy's mom and dad got baptized at our picnic. And look at him watch his dad mow. Every little boy wants to be like his dad. And so dads, we have a huge responsibility. Huge responsibility because our kids are watching. And when they start acting a certain way, like have you heard that Rodney Atkins song like, where did you learn to talk like that? Or it was, I can't remember exactly the title of it, but the little boy says a bad word. He's like, hey, where did you learn to talk like that? I said, from you, Dad. I've been watching you. I want to be like you. But then later on that night, his son got on his knees and started to pray, and his dad was like, hey, where did you learn to pray like that? He said, Dad, I learned to pray like that by watching you. It's powerful. Is that it? That's it? I'm going to finish my time with this. The family is the most important area of discipleship in the church. If you have kids and they're older now, (laughs) you know it's true. If you're about to have kids, put on your seatbelt and get ready (laughs) because your kids will be watching you. And what you teach them about Jesus, how you model for them, matters. How you model this life for them matters. I'm going to challenge you guys this morning. For one, if uh, you're here this morning and maybe you're like... uh, this young lady in our house the other night and you need peace but you don't know the Prince of Peace 
The first act of becoming a follower of Jesus is receiving him in faith and asking Christ to forgive you of your sin, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, put your hope and trust in him. That's where you're born again and that's where the, that's where the growth process begins. Or maybe you're here this morning and you have some people in your life that you think, you know what, I need to, I need to, I need to look back and I need to encourage them to come. I need to, I need to be more intentional. I need to be an ed in this person's life. I need to, to model for them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I need to be intentional. I need to take some time. Remember last week I talked about love is spelled T-I-M-E. Take some time for each other, for someone else. Or maybe you're the young person needing instruction. Go ask someone, hey, would you, would you walk with me? Would you encourage me? Would you be my discipler? Would you help me? And I believe as the church started to grow and teachings came out, Jesus was even teaching his early disciples that they should pray and that they should fast. Okay, I want, I want to, I want to encourage, encourage you guys with something this morning. This is kind of just a segue into this, this thing I want to ask you to do. We've been praying for Landon a lot. But I'm going to ask if there be people in our church that be willing to fast and pray for Landon. And when I mean, when I say fast, don't freak out and think, oh, I can't eat anymore until Landon's healed. No. If God's asking you to do that, then go for it. <laughs> but I'm saying, would you be willing to say, I will fast one meal a day, Brady, and I'll pray for Landon. Instead of eating, I will pray. Or you may say, Brady, I'll fast one day a week for Landon. Like that day, I'll drink water and I will pray for Landon. Or maybe I'll fast a week. Or maybe I'll say, I'll give up something and in return, give that time to praying for Landon. Whatever that could be. Whatever God puts on your heart, there's no exact way that I'm, I'm saying that you have to do this, but I'm asking you, would you do this? Because I think we need to go a little bit more intense, a little deeper when it comes to praying for him. I want to see this little boy healed. I do. I want to see him be free of cancer before the doctors think he's going to be free of cancer. And I believe the only way that's going to happen is if we fast and pray for him. And as we see breakthrough in that area, then we'll pray for other things too as a church. All right, so I want you to bow your heads with me right now. And um, I just want to, I'm just going to ask you to, uh, to, be account, to be counted today to say, I will fast in some way, somehow, for Landon um, until he is healed. One day, one week, one meal, whatever it is, what is God calling you to do? Would you say, I'd be willing to do that? And then God will reveal how he wants you to do that and how much or whatever. But you just at least say right now with my hand in the air, I say, I'm going to fast and pray for Landon. Yes, thank you. Thank you for those raising your hand. God's going to call you to do that. It's not going to be easy, <laughs> but it'll be worth it. So if you're making this commitment, you got to keep it, right? When Jesus says, come and follow me, and they left their nets behind, it was a commitment. Following Jesus is a commitment. 
So if you have something you want to pray about this morning and you just you need prayer for anything, just come forward and, and we will pray with you as we worship on this last song.